Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I hope you will be honest in answering that question. The question is, are you a true worshiper? Are you a true worshiper? Last week, I told you that our emphasis in 2008 is to love Jesus personally and love others practically. You remember from our Disciples' Cross that we talked about last week, that at the 12 o'clock is loving Jesus personally. And I said to you that the primary way we grow in our love for Jesus is through our worship, as you see in the red. So it stands to reason, as we emphasize loving Jesus personally, that we need to start by talking about worship. And as we talk about worship, where we're going to start today, and we'll spend several weeks in this area, but today we're going to talk about the worshiper. Are you a true worshiper? Can anybody worship God? Can Hindus worship God? Can Muslims worship God? Can Jews worship God? Can any Christian worship God? But Jesus answers those questions for us over in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Take your Bibles, turn over to John, chapter 4. Now, you will remember that this passage is the occasion of Jesus going through Samaria. And as you remember, the Samaritans and the Jews were at great odds with each other. Jews made it a practice not to go through Samaria. They would walk sometimes many miles out of their way going from Jerusalem up to Galilee just to avoid Samaria. They considered them to be unclean and they didn't want to associate with them. They would not drink or eat from utensils that were owned by Samaritans. But Jesus went through Samaria for the purpose of talking to this lady at the well. And as he was at the well at noon, this lady came and he began to talk to her. And he told her some things about her that she realized only a prophet of God would know. And so she asked him, well, where should we worship? The Samaritans were taught you should worship on Mount Gerizim. The Jews were taught you should worship in Jerusalem. You see, back in those days, a large part of their worship was the place where you worship. And so Jesus is talking to her about worship, and he's basically saying to her, the place is not what's important. What's important is you be a true worshiper. And we pick up the conversation in verse 23, Jesus speaking, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As we look at this passage, two truths immediately jump out at us. The first one is, 
There are true worshipers and there are false worshipers. The very fact that Jesus uses the term true worshipers implies that there is such a thing as false worshipers. Not everyone who thinks they're worshiping God really are. So the answer to the questions we asked earlier are no. And then the second truth is God seeks true worshipers. And I want us to look more closely at this word seeks. Now this word means to earnestly seek. It carries the idea of strenuous activity. In fact, this exact same word is used in other places in the New Testament that gives us an idea of the strenuousness, the diligence of this seeking. It's used of King Herod when he sought for the baby Jesus after the wise men had left him. You remember that? How earnest was he? How diligent was he? How strenuously did he search? He searched so diligently, so strenuously, he sent his soldiers throughout the whole kingdom to kill every male child three years old and under. Such drastic measures shows you the depth that Herod was going to, the depth of his seeking after the baby Jesus. The same word is used when Jesus tells a story about this lady that has ten coins and she loses one. And what does she do? Man, she turns that house upside down to try to find that one coin. How many of you have lost your keys? I know, every one of us have, haven't we? You remember how you went looking for them? If you're a man, you checked your pants pockets of all the different pants you had. If you're a lady, I imagine you went through your pocketbooks looking for those keys. And finally, you resorted to going to the sofa and picking up the cushions and looking in between and under the cushions. Maybe they fell in there. And then maybe you have gotten as desperate as I have to go into trash cans. And maybe even going out to the big trash can, taking out the bags of trash and going through them thinking maybe somehow they fell into the trash can. Right? Diligently, earnestly seeking those keys. This word is the word used of Zacchaeus when he wanted to see Jesus so badly that he climbed a tree and waited for him to show up. What Jesus is saying to you and to me is that our God earnestly, diligently, and strenuously desires true worshipers. Now think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, the God who created all things, the God who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the God who saved you, earnestly, diligently, strenuously, desires true worshipers. Now what does that do to you? I'll tell you what it does to me. It makes me want to be a true worshiper. If my God is so desirous of finding true worshipers, then I want to be one of those. Are you a true worshiper? Well, what are the characteristics of a true worshiper? How does one become a true worshiper? Well, where would you go to find out? Where do you think you'd find true worshipers? 
I think you'd find them in heaven, don't you? So let's turn over to Revelation chapter 4, where we will see true worshipers. And what we're going to see in these true worshipers are three characteristics of a true worshiper. And put these characteristics up against your life as you are answering the question, am I a true worshiper? Revelation chapter 4. John has a vision of what's going on in heaven. We're going to begin in verse 4. And I'm going to ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God. As I begin reading in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 4. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and because of Your will they existed and were created. You may be seated, and may the Father God bless the reading, the hearing, and most of all, the obeying of His Word. Now, these 24 elders are symbolic of the Old Testament and New Testament believers. Two twelves make 24. First twelve stands for the patriarchs of the Old Testament. And the twelve, second twelve stands for the apostles. And so what we have is a symbolic representation of the believers, both Old and New Covenant believers, as they are worshiping God around the throne. First characteristic that we see of true worshipers. A true worshiper is one who has a love relationship with Jesus. The Muslims, the Hindus, the Jews, cannot be true worshipers because they do not have a love relationship with Jesus. Allah of Islam is not the God of the Old Testament or New Testament. He's not the God of Scripture. As much as they may try to tell you, oh yes, we worship the same God you worship, you read the Koran and you will see that Allah is not Yahweh the Lord God Almighty. Jesus of Islam is not the Jesus of the New Testament either. They say, oh, we believe in Jesus. But you read what the Quran says about Jesus, and it is not 
what the New Testament teaches about Jesus. So those, first of all, who are true worshipers must have a love relationship with Jesus. There are three things involved in that. First, those who've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Look in chapter 5, verse 9 of Revelation. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they're talking about the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. Those who have a love relationship with Jesus are those who have first been purchased by His blood. See the word purchased? The root word in the Greek is a marketplace. And it refers to someone going to the mall and purchasing something. Now what's the furthest you have ever gone to purchase something? Think about it. What is the furthest you have ever traveled, ever gone to purchase something? Now, I've gone three hours. I've driven three hours just for the purpose of purchasing something. It was a car. And it was a car I wanted. And that car was three hours away. First new car I ever bought. And so I traveled three hours to purchase that car. Because I wanted it that bad. And that was exactly the one I wanted. Jesus wanted to save you so bad. He wanted to purchase you so bad that He traveled all the way from heaven to earth, took on humanity, bore your sins on the cross, shed His blood that He might purchase you and give you the God the Father. Now once I purchased that car, you know whose car that was? It was mine. I don't care who came up and tried to claim on it. I'd say, no, no. It's my car. Now that Jesus has purchased you for God the Father, I don't care what the devil claims, He can't have you. You belong to God. You have been purchased through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So first, those who are true worshipers have been purchased by the blood. Secondly, those have a personal relationship with Jesus who are adopted by God. Oh, in Galatians chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 5, it says, So that He, Jesus, might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now this one verse has a great, a fantastic, a stupendous, Word picture in it. I mean, I get excited when I think about the word picture in this verse. Now, the word redeem is akin to the word we saw earlier, purchased. It also has to do with the marketplace. But it had to do with the slave marketplace. This word referred to someone going down to the slave market. And in those days, they would auction off slaves on the block. Here you had a slave in bondage. He was chained. He was helpless to free himself. And someone would go down. They would bid on him. And they would redeem him from that old master. And that word, 
redeem is exactly the word that was used. So when Paul says that Jesus redeemed us, he has that slave market in mind. Because you see, you and I are born into this world slaves of sin and Satan. We are in his bondage and we are helpless to free ourselves. But Jesus comes down to the marketplace of life, and through His precious blood, He redeems us, He purchases us from our slavery to sin and Satan. Now, that's great enough just in itself, but that's not all of the word picture. Not only does He take us and redeem us from that slavery, but guess what? He takes us home and makes us one of His children. Hallelujah. He doesn't take us home and make us one of His slaves. He takes us home and adopts us as His child with full rights, full blessings of His family member. A person who is a true worshiper must first of all have a love relationship with Jesus. He's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He's been adopted into the family of God. And then thirdly, those whose sins are forgiven. Over in Colossians 1.13, it says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, as that word redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God said through the prophet Isaiah, Your sins have caused a separation between me and you. Now, if you and I are ever going to have a love relationship with God, something's got to be done about the sin problem. But what God has done is that He's taken our sins and placed them on the Lord Jesus, so now you and I can have a love relationship with God. Jesus took our place on the cross. He removed our sins by dying for them. And so now, with the sin problem taken care of, you and I can have a love relationship with Jesus. So that's the first characteristic. You've got to have a love relationship with Jesus to be a true worshiper. But you can have a love relationship with Jesus and still not be a true worshiper. Remember I asked the question, can any Christian worship God? And the answer is no. Not just any Christian is a true worshiper. That's the second characteristic we must look at. A true worshiper is one who is in fellowship with Jesus. You can have a love relationship with Jesus and be out of fellowship with Him. You experience this in your family. You know, you have a love relationship with your children, but that doesn't mean you're always in fellowship with your children. And even to put it maybe on a more relevant plane... You have a love relationship with your spouse. Doesn't mean you're always in fellowship with your spouse, does it? Sometimes you are at great odds. So much so you might not speak for a couple of days or more. But you still have a love relationship. In fact, you're still married. I mean, that marriage license is still valid. Whether you're in fellowship or not. Well, when you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, adopted into His family, that love relationship is sealed forever. Nothing can change that. But oh, the fellowship now. That can be broken. That comes 
and that goes. Well, let's look at these 24 elders. They tell us two important things about the way they're dressed. First, they're wearing white robes. Now, there are three symbols that white robes had in the New Testament days. First of all was a symbol of festivity. The white robes of those days were like the tuxedo of today. When you went to a big party, when you went to a celebration, you put on your white robe. And so these 24 elders are those who've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, when you throw a party, you don't invite people that you don't like. Unless somebody's twisting your arm. But if you have your own way now, you're going to invite folks you like. You're going to invite folks you're having fellowship with, right, to come to your party. And so these 24 elders are in fellowship with Jesus. Secondly, a white robe was a symbol of victory. You remember the Roman triumph? As a Roman general would celebrate his victory in a country, every person in that city was to wear a white robe. They were called the city of white. These saints are celebrating the victory of Jesus over Satan and the Antichrist. Next, white stood for purity. Those who have the purity of Jesus. Those who have been washed in His blood. So we see these 24 elders, these saints, have fellowship with Jesus. Next, look, they were wearing crowns. Now, there are two words in the Greek language for crowns. And it's important you know which word is used here. The first word is diadema. That's the crown of a king. The next word is stephanos. We get the word Stephen from it. And that's the crown of a victor. That's the crown that they would give at the Olympic Games to the winner. Now, the word that's used in this passage for these crowns are not the royal crown, but the crown of a victor. The crown of one who has faithfully trained and given his all. You see, for an Olympian to win, he has to faithfully train and then he must give his all. And then he can wear the crown of victory. For a Christian, if we're going to wear that crown of victory, we must be faithful in our service to God. We must give our all. So if we're going to have fellowship with God, there are a couple of things that must be involved. First, we must have no unconfessed sin in our lives. Right? Secondly, we must be faithfully serving God. There must be no disobedience to God's Word in our lives. Now, let's camp out right here for a moment, okay? Let's talk about your worship. I don't know what kind of worship you've had today so far, but let's talk about it and let's think about it. If it hasn't been good, let's consider why that might be. might not be because of the preaching. might not be because... Jason and the songs he selected or his singing. It might be because you're not in fellowship with God. Because there's some 
unconfessed sin in your life. Or you're disobedient to God in some area of your life. Or you're not being faithful in your service to God. So you might better start by looking inside if you're not experiencing worship like you want to, rather than looking outside. Our own occasion will notice somebody has kind of quit coming to church. And I might be talking to one of their close friends and say, you know, we've missed so-and-so. Yeah, I was talking to them and they said they just don't get anything out of the sermons anymore. Then I'll be talking to somebody else and they'll say, you know, preacher, these sermons you've been preaching the last few weeks have just been speaking to me, have just really been blessing me. Now, what do you think is going on with that person that's not getting anything out of the sermons? That's easy for them to say, man, I'm just not getting anything out of the sermons. Preacher's just not doing a good job. It's easy to put the blame here, isn't it? Now, if everybody was saying I'm not getting anything out of the sermons, then I'd take a look. But you got one person saying, man, God's blessing me. He's speaking to me. I'm just really learning and getting fed in the Word. And the says, man, I'm just not getting anything out of it. What's that tell you? Somebody's out of fellowship with God. And if they're going to get the problem solved, they need to start looking inwardly. They're saying more about themselves than they're saying about the preaching or the singing. Right? So if you're not experiencing worship, if you're not a true worshiper, let me encourage you to look inwardly first. Before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, you look at the log that may be in yours and see if you are indeed in fellowship with God. If you're being faithful in your service to God, or maybe you have slipped and you're not serving God faithfully. Maybe you're not being obedient in everything. Maybe you've quit tithing. Maybe... You're doing something you know God's not pleased with. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an attitude. I don't know. But look inside first. Two characteristics so far of a true worshiper. Number one, he has a loving relationship with Jesus. Number two, he is in fellowship with Jesus. Not just any Christian can worship. They've got to be in fellowship. Now, the third characteristic a true worshiper is one who has an intimacy with God. You see, true worshipers are in God's presence. If we're going to worship God, we need to go into God's presence. The writer of Hebrews talks about this when he says in chapter 9, chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and that holy place is, he's talking about the holy of holies, where God dwells. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. It takes time to enter into God's presence. I think the number one reason that we don't have more people being true worshipers is because we will not take the time. We're too much in a hurry. Always got something else to do. Always trying to finish one thing so we can do another. 
And when we come to worship, we're thinking, oh, man, I've got to get through this because I've got this to do and this to do and that to do. We are distracted by so many things. And it takes time to worship. You've got to take time to get into God's presence to realize you're in God's presence. To let the Holy Spirit usher you into the presence of God. You've got to block out the distractions that are so many and so abundant around us. You've got to block them out and focus and center yourself in the presence of God. And that takes time. And how many of us are willing to give that time? Come into God's presence. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware of God's presence. But secondly, to have intimacy with God means also the one who knows God's worthiness. Look in verse 11 of chapter 4. These 24 elders know the worthiness of God. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. These saints know something of God's worthiness. They said, God, you are worthy to receive all glory and all honor and all power. This is the truth part of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Understanding something of God's majesty. Understanding something of God's greatness. The more you understand and know of God's greatness and majesty, the greater your worship will be. That's why we're going to spend several weeks looking at the greatness and majesty of our God. Who He is. To know God is to worship God. That brings us back to the beginning question. Are you a true worshiper? Do you have a love relationship with Jesus? Have you been purchased by His blood? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Have your sins been forgiven? Secondly, are you in fellowship with God? Is there no unconfessed sin in your life? Is there no disobedience in your life? Are you faithfully serving God? And then thirdly, do you have an intimacy with God? Are you entering into His presence? God earnestly, diligently, strenuously seeks true worshipers. Will you be one of those? Let's pray. Father, we do ask that You would enable us by Your Spirit to be those true worshipers that You so ardently desire that we may bring pleasure to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Perhaps today you've never come to a place in your life that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We want to give you an opportunity today to make that commitment to Christ. You desire to have your sins forgiven, to have a place in heaven for eternity, to have Jesus walk within you. Then will you come and surrender all that you are to all that He is?
asking the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. He will come in and He will be your Lord and Savior. Stand as we sing together. Step out in obedience to God. If this is your heart's desire, would you just come and let me know that?